listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 111 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast. We can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Helvicky, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our returning guest is New York-based graphic designer and illustrator, known for his work as one of the founding members of the groundbreaking comics anthology, Secret Identities, and his own graphic t-shirt line under his Epic Props brand. He recently successfully crowdfunded his creator-owned graphic novel, The Monkey King, to be, le- to be released later this year. Some highlights of his previous project partners include the NBPA, the Jeremy Lin Foundation, the World Journal, the New York Asian Film Festival, Aeropostale, and the Smithsonian Museum. In his spare time, he invests in the New York-based Taiwanese beef noodle shop, Ho Foods, and is still trying to make his own baiju. Jerry Ma, welcome back to Cinemental. What's up, guys? <laughs> Good to have Boy, you no, back. Good. No time to split the atom while you're doing all yeah. that stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah. Slacker. Yeah, I know. Jerry Jerry does nothing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, the best part was, was following him on Instagram because it's like, uh, you know, you know I, I'd see Jerry at, at Mostly I've run into Jerry in person at uh, comic book conventions and in between them, I would, I would, I would live my, my travel life vicariously through Jerry as following him on Instagram. It was hysterical because it's like all of a sudden he would be in, he would be in Taiwan for a month and then all of a sudden he'd be in Japan and then he'd be like somewhere else in, in the far East. And then, and then uh, it, something else would happen and he'd be like somewhere and you'd be like, when when are you back he's like oh i'm gonna be here for a month and it's like who goes away for a month i'm like what the the fuck but uh, don't you sleep that and he would and he would post all these and all of his pictures are of him eating and it's fucking brutal because it all looks amazing he's like oh look what we had tonight and nine pictures of all these food dishes they ate and i'm just like son of a bitch Fucking love that stuff. So yeah, but I'm I'll be very happy when you when you can get back to doing that again, Jerry. Because uh, <laughs> I love I love the uh, the pictures of the of the native food when you when you go go over there. So, but uh, so let's uh, let's jump right in and uh, suffer from consumption. Jerry, did uh, did you watch anything? Uh, yeah, you know, so as you guys were talking about this, I remembered a couple things I watched. I watched I think it's called Willie's Wonderland with Nicolas Cage. Um, uh, where he don't know he, that like, he fights uh he goes into like an animatronics like kids party room <laughs> like a like five nights do. at freddy's kind of thing <laughs> they're killer animatronic robots that he's got to like fight off uh, <laughs> he doesn't fuck? he literally does not say one word throughout the entire movie no that's nicholas cage <laughs> it's, it's classic it nicholas cage terrible. oh there it is <laughs> willie's wonderland Terrible movie. It is <laughs> awful. Uh, watch it because my nephew wanted to watch it because he thought it was, 
the concept of it was ridiculous. So we watched that and it was so bad. I mean, <laughs> terrible. But it was funny because like 40 minutes into the movie, I'm sitting with my sister-in-law and my nephew. My sister-in-law looks at me, she's like, you know, Nicholas Cage hasn't said one word yet. <laughs> uh, and then we just watched to the end to see if he would say one Anything. word. Just... Not one word throughout the entire movie. And he's the main star. And he he just grunts a couple of times. <laughs> a quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of demonic animatronics. Yes. Why not? Ozzy Ostrich and Tito Turtle. <laughs> terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> Why another, not? Another Nicolas Cage straight-to-video winner. <laughs> <laughs> Then I also watched Luca on Disney. Oh, on Disney. heard lots of good things. Yet. Which I got to say, I thought it was fantastic. It was really, I watched it twice. Oh. Um, it's like, I felt like because there's no traveling or anything, I felt like you're in Italy for at least while you're watching the film. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, and then, yes, I did uh, I did finish up the series of Black Summer on Netflix. Uh, okay. I want to see that also. Um, I will say I, I thought season two was tremendously better than season one. Uh, like I didn't remember a damn thing about season one. <laughs> and, uh, I just remember it kind of ended kind of corny, like they were going to war, you know. Uh, but season two was a lot cooler because it's it's much more tense, like from the first, literally the first second of it to the very end. Um, and it, it's 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 more situational, more like survival. And it's just really tense. If you like that sort of film, like an intense uh, zombie flick that's uh, more about being on the run and and finding stuff to survive, then I think you'll like season two. Cool. Yes. And you you were saying that when you were watching it, that you don't need to see season one to watch season two? Like they're separate stories? They have the same characters? No, it's the same characters, same continuous story. First of all, it's just not very, you know, it's not that difficult of a story to, to pick okay. up on. But I, I just found, because I was wondering, because I, like I said, I didn't remember a damn thing about season one. As a matter of fact, when I thought I was watching season two, I was actually watching one of the like middle episodes of season one. And I was like, wow, this starts off kind of action-packed, you know? Um, <laughs> like, you don't, it, it, it helps just to have some familiarity with the characters, but really, you could just watch season two without watching season one I think you'll probably enjoy it. <laughs> um, right. but yeah, Maybe if you really, one. really like it, you can be like, well, if you want a prequel, you can go back and watch season one. <laughs> I don't understand why. All right. Um, well, uh, I was able to watch a few more things this week than I have the last few weeks. Uh, so uh, I'll do TV first. Uh, I watched I'm continuing my NCIS. I'm now in the middle of season eight. Uh, watched the Loki finale. Uh, I watched, uh, we've now watched the first four seasons, first four seasons of Below Deck, <laughs> which is a horrible reality show from Bravo about uh, life and love aboard uh, working oh, yachting. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, with beautiful, with beautiful crews, uh, oh, loving thing. and hating, loving and hating life. Uh, and then I, then I saw this thing pop up on on Netflix and I couldn't tell if it was new or not, but it, it, it said it was from a few years ago, but I've never seen it on there before. It was, it was a resident evil four part mini series called infinite darkness. 
Yeah, I think that's brand new. Does it's, it's I couldn't find anything out about it. But anyway, I watched all four episodes. Uh, each episode is like 27 minutes long. So it's like if you put them all together, you just have a, an animated movie, which they have released two or three of anyway. So I'm like, did you just take one of your animated movies and chop it up into episodes so you could call it a series? Or I mean, what did you do here? Whatever. Uh, it was fine. I, I didn't really like it. I mean, it was it was uh, it was uh, Claire and um, Leon Kennedy uh, in the in the in the movie. So uh, and a new bad guy and a new a new story. So uh, it's fine. You know, it's part of the newer stuff. So it's got. Um, it doesn't have umbrella in it anymore. It's got the new company. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, there's a new company that, that umbrella turned into in, in the sort of resident evil universe. So that's the bad company. Now they're called like gen one or something like that. I, I can't remember. Anyway, it's a, it's a tricell tricell. They're called tricell. That's what it is. Um, and it's like three octagon, three hexagons in different colors of blue and green and, and off white is their symbol or whatever, but that's the new umbrella is this anyway. Um, so movies, uh, I watched black widow, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yep. Hassan watched black widow as well. Um, I mean, <laughs> I totally listen, forgot about it. If you'll it, listen, if you like the MCU movies, you'll, you'll like it. It's, it's a, it's a good entry into the thing. It's a, it's, it's well put together. Good action pieces. Uh, Florence Pugh is awesome in it. She is the she is the source of most of the good lines in the movie. The sort of uh, slightly deconstructionist aspect they go towards uh, Black Widow's character is amusing. You know, there's it. You know, it leaves you with a, obviously, like most other MCU films, it leaves you with a bunch of questions. But it's a cool. It's cool how they shoehorned this movie into this sort of five minute span of time from the end of uh, uh, Captain America's civil war. So like this movie takes place between basically the point at which cap walks away from Tony Stark in the battle and the point I'm assuming here, everyone has seen civil war. So I'm not spoiling anything on a movie. That's, I don't know how many years old at this point, but um so at the point and then and at the end, right before the end credits, there's a scene where it shows Cap show up at the raft to break out all the guys, you know, who are going to be, you know, to break out all of them from from there. And this movie takes place. Essentially, it dovetails into the point where she's going to go and get Cap to go and break the people out of the raft. So it kind of that's where this that's where Black Widow ends is right before that scene. So it's like, and then there's a post credit scene that is in the very current timeline. It's post end game. It's right in sort of where we are. So it's, you know, it's going to serve as the, you know, clearly it's going to serve as the introduction of the Florence Pugh character into uh, the Avenger verse. Uh, I'm sure. So, and that's fine. That's good. I mean, listen, if, if you like MCU movies, you're going to like it. If you don't, don't, don't bother because, you know, you're just going to be disappointed. Um, I watched a really, uh, a pretty interesting documentary called Closed for Storm. Ah, saw that too. (laughs) 
it's uh it was a good it's one a, though it's pretty good it was pretty interesting it's so it's sad about, but... it's about a amusement park that opened in new orleans in like 2001 called Jazzland, which was like a low like a small regional amusement park for like the people it's like right just just right outside downtown new orleans and two and a half years after it opened uh six flags bought the park so it became a six flags new orleans and they brought in all new rides and yeah, they the added place some, up and added some new rides. They added in all their all their IP that they have, the Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes and DC characters and Batman, the ride they brought in and all that stuff. Jazzed it up, made it a real Six Flags. Uh, and then Katrina hit and put the whole park under six feet of water. And then oh. they basically just wrote it off and walked away from it and and now the park has been sitting there since 2005 and it's just the, the, the earth has wow. completely taken it back over. There's a, they do go, it's pretty interesting. They only have like, I want to say 10 or 12 people in the documentary, specific people that they go and talk to, but there's a couple, there's two or three of them are ex employees at the park. So like they work there and they actually end up going back with one of them at night, like an urban explorer thing. And they like go and walk around the park and they're like, Oh my God, here's the manager's office. Oh, you know, look at this, check this out. And it's like, it's like the schedule. Yeah, and they're, are, they're like heartbroken. They're all like, yeah, you know, so yeah it's, it's just, like the yeah. schedules are on the wall on the, on the cork boards in the office for like that week, the work schedules. And it's like all the calendars say August. Cause that was like the last, that was the last day anybody was there. And it's like the whole place is just like a, it's like, it's like this, it's like the photos of Chernobyl. It's like the whole yeah. place and like they go into the one room with like where all the costumes and where all like the staff uniforms were. And there's just all these piles of like moldering cloth and plastic bags and stuff that's just sitting there. And it's just it's crazy. But it's the town, the city has had like multiple mayors in the, in the period of time in between. Weird. And they've they're like, we want to tear the park down. Uh, it's going to cost 20 million dollars. But we want to we want to fold that into whoever is going to come in and, you know, take over the, the land and, and redevelop it for, you know, a new project or whatever. And and they just yeah, you know, like, isn't it? I'm sorry. To, isn't it yeah. like it wasn't it like they just to tear it down just so that it, it was 20 million like to graveyard, de- 20 yeah. million to demolish it. Yeah. Just, just to get rid of it, not even to renovate. But it, then the one know? woman was like, you know, if someone wanted to come in here and literally open a new amusement park in this space, she's like, you could open an amusement park here, re- refurbish and revamp what's here and replace what needs to be replaced. She's like, but you could open a brand new amusement park for about $65 million. And she's like, if you wanted to put a brand new amusement park in this spot, it would cost you anywhere from 200 to 250. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, let's take it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get busy. I was just thinking that. They would, I'm they crunching would, the numbers right now. They would the love us. And then, so, but then they had like a bunch of interviews with guys who people who live in like the adjoining land uh, in the homes on the uh, kind of the adjoining property who were sold the, you know, the idea that, oh, well, your home is going to be close to the amusement park. Your property values are all going to go up you know, all this. And then like after Katrina and everything basically just took a gigantic dump on new Orleans, literally now, basically every other part of the city's property values are above where they were when Katrina hit. And now East 
New Orleans, which is this area, this, this area located by the park, their property values have not recovered even past the point from like where they were in 2005. And it's just, there's just the entire area is depressed because it's immediately adjacent to this yeah. abandoned amusement park. Yeah. It's like a graveyard. It's like looking over it's, like an yeah, apocalyptic. It's, it's, it's yeah. like shots of Chernobyl. You go over and there's like all the amusement park stuff is there and it's just trees growing up through everything. It's, it's amazing. And there's, there's something kind of extra special, creepy or, or eerie always about a, about a place where people used to have fun. You know, that's been abandoned and deserted. It's yeah. pretty. And then, you know, they uh, they did some Passover shots of because uh, they, they, you know, they they had drones, I guess, go over it when it, when it was flooded. Right. And it was just horrifying. And then they've, you know, they've done these like, you know, those slow sweeping, you know, steady cam walkthroughs of these just like empty yeah. corridors and, and dilapidated uh, like uh, Ferris wheels and stuff like it's really sad. It was really sad to look at. The funny, one of the funny things is the woman said was like, who had worked for the city at the time and was like, you know, if somebody wanted, like I said, if somebody wanted to go in there, he's like, the one of the things that I have to say is the people that put the amusement park in there in the first place that built Jazzland, she's like, they did an amazing job on all the, all the, all the foundation and concrete work. It's like, even after everything that's gone on and everything at the time, she's like, you can go in there now. And there are no big cracks in the foundations. There's no shifting of the land. There's no like areas where the concrete's all broken up and everything. She's like, the concrete's in great shape. You she's like, you literally could go in there and lay a whole new park right up on top of everything they have there. She's like, but you know, we can't get anyone. No one will bite, you know? And they've been, they've been trying for, they said the last time they put out a request for uh, uh, a request for proposals was like, 2015 or something and they just they haven't even bothered because they didn't even get back anyone who wanted to do anything you know it's just crazy just absolutely nuts really really interesting documentary to watch though yeah it was it's well done but it's sad (laughs) yeah bring a tissue and then i watched uh dude i uh i watched the sparks brothers the uh the m the edgar wright documentary about the band sparks Uh, oh okay oh my God, anyone who likes music needs to fucking go watch this documentary. <laughs> they're coming in concert this fall now. Too. Are they really? Oh, yeah, they're doing a tour. That's fantastic, dude. The, the, you've got to you've I'll, I'll upload a copy if you want to watch it. It is it is beyond phenomenal. It is so good. Um, just everything, the way it's put together, all the interviewing. And I, I literally went through the whole it's like two hours and 20 minutes long. I watched the whole thing and then I went back to the beginning and watched the intro again because all the information you get at the rest of the movie makes the intro to the movie even better when you go back and watch it. It's so good. Uh, and then I watched a bad uh, straight to video. Actually, I don't know if it was straight to video. I may have gone to the theaters. Um, one of Mel Gibson's. Um, Oh. It's, not, it's not a comeback movie, but it's, you know, these guys still hire Mel Gibson for these action roles and movies and, uh, and he takes them. So, he's, you know, and he's 70, right? He's like something. Yeah. But they, you know, they still will. And he's will still willing to do him. So why not? Uh, so this one was, uh, him trapped in a building during a big rainstorm called force of nature with Emil Hirsch and, um, uh, Kate Bosworth, who I haven't seen in a long time. 
and uh, wow, it was it was pretty mediocre. What year is it? Uh, two thousand twenty. Oh, did you guys watch Boss yeah. Level? That's the, it's the most recent. No, that was last year. That was last year. It was. It's the movie that he did that came out before Fat Man. Fat Man, I think, was the last Mel Gibson movie to come out. But I think he's having a hard time getting like normal. Yeah, honestly, at this point, he should just he should just go and direct stuff and just fuck acting. I, I think he's got millions of dollars. Yeah, he's got a lot of movies coming out, but I don't right because he's turning because he's turned into Nicholas an old Nicholas Cage. This was like the worst. He's just doing he's just doing whatever people were willing to hire him for. Yeah. Not yet, not yet. With him and uh, Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo is great. He's a lot of fun to watch. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen, I've, I've never seen any of the Purge films, but I want. Really? <laughs> I know. I, I oh. just, and now there's what four of them? The fifth one coming. That just seems like right up your alley, man. I know that's, it does. Yeah, like, I mean, that's. I know, and they're all Blumhouse films. I just, I feel I should have watched them. And I just, you know, when the first one came out, the the concept behind it, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, but we're like. We're like three weeks away from that becoming a reality now. So it's it's probably, you know, it's probably survival uh, information for you now. Fair point. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, so then I watched uh, a really horrible 70s uh, uh, monster movie called, uh, no, sorry, 90s monster movie called Sabretooth, which is about a, a genetically engineered Sabretooth tiger that, oh, guess what? Gets loose, kills wow. people. Is that what it's about? Go, never figure it out otherwise, yeah. And then uh, I watched uh, Guy Ritchie's second or most recent film, The Gentleman, which got a lot of bad press and a lot of like people kind of panned it. I really liked it. I, I thought, you know, if you like Guy Ritchie movies, I mean, it's it's a Guy Ritchie movie. It's, it's you know, his usual kind of gang of, of British actors doing what they do. And it's a gangster film and it's done. Yeah, he's, in a, he's a he's fallen out of favor or something because I have a lot of the the movies that he's done that that have like really low scores yeah have been really good so there's no reason that they should have been this bad so it's it's almost like it's an engineering kind of thing where no. his movies are being buried for some reason gotcha or they're being they're being bombed for some reason because I've like there are a couple of movies I've seen that were supposed to be disasters and they just haven't been they've been they've been fine you know yeah yeah, that's what I mean. If you're if you if you liked Guy Ritchie movies in the past, there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't like this movie. I mean, it's yeah, he hasn't he hasn't lost his touch. It's a fun and it's got a fucking great cast: Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Hugh Grant, uh, Eddie Marsan, uh, just just a ton of great all those great British faces that you love from his movies. That and they're all I mean, other than Jason Statham, uh, they all show up and it's like and it's told in a really unique in a really unique way. It's all done framed around a guy telling someone another story. So then it fills in all the pieces as you go through. And then the end of the movie is what happens after this guy's story. But there's like multiple like twists and turns going on at the same time. So it's it's good stuff. It really is. And then I watched a weird movie. This is a movie that apparently has never been released on DVD. Um, from the 70s, it was an ABC movie of the week called The Bermuda Depths. And it's got Connie Selica and Lee McCloskey and Burl Ives, of all people. And and it's a Rankin-Bass movie that's not like Claymation. 
<laughs> That's the weirdest thing. Super atmospheric. I mean, it's still got the cheesy 70s elements that you'd expect for a movie of the time, but it's really more about it's real. It, it never really gets up. I mean, it, ostensibly, if they were, I would imagine I didn't watch a trailer for this, I, but I imagine the trailer for this movie, they kind of sold it as a giant monster movie, giant underwater monster movie. <laughs> but it's not really at all. I mean, it has basically a giant underwater sea turtle, but that's not oh my God. That's the extent of it. So <laughs> that sounded sounded apologetic. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I, I, it was I, I I saw a bunch of people uh, waxing poetic about it online, uh, uh, very nostalgic about. Oh my god, I can't believe I found this movie. I remember seeing this movie when I was seven about this girl on the beach, and there's a giant turtle, and and Carl Weathers fights the giant turtle. <laughs> it's like I gotta watch this. <laughs> Now, see, I read the exact same thing, and my reaction was, fuck that. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, I, <laughs> I watched uh, I watched our two films for the show. Uh, I watched... Uh, yeah, the, it's weird I, that I, we're all converging on the same two movies right, this crazy. week. So uh, I watched the second Fear Street installment, 1978, about the, uh, the camp slasher, which was, uh, I felt, much stronger than the first chapter. So uh, very, very looking, very much looking forward to the third one, uh, which I can actually watch right now because I have a preview link in my email box. So maybe I'll do that when I get done tonight. Uh, and then I watched, for context, I watched the prequel to Train to Busan, Soul Station, the animated film, which was... Is that good? I've never seen that. It was released a couple months after Train to Busan came out, and this guy... Train to Busan was this guy's... We'll get into it, but Train to Busan was this guy's first film, first live-action film. So he had done animated features before this. And... Which kind of explains a lot. <laughs> well, it's funny. When you watch this this prequel, this ostensible prequel, Soul Station it's nowhere near as nuanced as train to Busan is. And I love the animation in it because it's somewhere between modern and super old school, like hand-drawn cell animation look. And it's, it's, it's really fun to look at. Write that down. But I felt that the, I just didn't feel that the story and it's not like it does. It's not trying to necessarily set up the story from where Train to Busan takes off. It's none of the same characters. It's just literally taking place all in and around uh, a, 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 a train station in Seoul. So I don't know. It's it's a weird. It's like it's clearly in the same universe, you know, much the way the sequel is set in the same universe, but doesn't really, you know, it's take place. It takes place four years after the original, but it's like, and it's in the train to Busan universe, but it's not really part of the same story. You know, this is, okay. this feels, this feels very much the same way, but in a prequel standpoint, it kind of sets up. It doesn't really tell again. It doesn't really give you a lot of detail on how it started. It just, I mean, the main, the kind of patient zero is just a kind of a, a homeless guy who, who stumbles out of an alley and you don't really find out. And he's already like bitten. So you don't really know what attacked him. I mean, the deer, huh? 
I said the deer. Yeah, the deer, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's one of my fucking favorite points about the trade to Busan, but we'll get to that. Um, and yeah, that was it. That was uh, my lead up. I was gonna, I was gonna go back and uh, try and fit in one other. I was gonna try and fit in Peninsula uh, after that, but I just uh, couldn't quite do it. So, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you're waving your hand over there. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's it. Uh, so I guess I guess we've suffered enough. All right, we got. Oh, he's like yeah. He's like Jerry's like wrap it up, guys. I know, right? Yeah, jeez. Man. Love to Why hear you about us, your your you let us bladder, ramble on about bullshit. But... We could have been getting busy here. Okay, so uh, for Jerry, oh, second... I know how he's getting a Taipei, guys. You know, go ahead, Steve. How's he getting a Taipei? All right. Uh, for Jerry's second film, he is going to get to Taipei by the train to Busan. That's right. <laughs> 아빠를 안 보고 있는 것 같으면서도 다 보고 있다. 2016 from director Yun Sang Ho with a hundred running time of 118 minutes. A man takes his daughter uh, via train from Seoul to Busan while unbeknownst to him, a zombie outbreak has begun in the city. They just left and has managed to get aboard the train. Jerry, why'd you pick train to Busan? You know, I've been watching. So one of my sister-in-laws is Korean. So she started kind of making me watch Korean films. God, I, I guess about, 15, 16 years ago. Have you watched? And, a, have you watched a film called Age of Shadows? You know, I don't know any of the names of them. Okay, never mind. So many of them. <laughs> uh, I, I just because you know, like I, I watched it before I realized I was supposed to be paying attention to them. Because back then I was like, oh, whatever, man. You know, kung, Chinese kung fu movies are way better than this crap. You know? <laughs> um, but then I quickly realized what I love about Korean cinema. They just they refuse to follow the formula. You know, they, they will almost formulaically do the opposite of the formula. If that makes <laughs> sense. You know? No, it does make sense. <laughs> you know, like, like they're just going to do whatever they're not supposed to do. And if, you, if it's supposed to have a happy ending, they're going to give you a sad ending. It's supposed to be a sad ending, they're going to give you a happy ending. You know, like, they're just going to do the opposite of what you're supposed to be getting. And in the beginning, I was like, oh man, it's whatever. It's, it's kind of corny, but the more I watched them, I was like, wow, what they're doing as compared to, well, Hong Kong cinema in particular, because I want to say, I mean, maybe like 20 some years ago, that's when Hong Kong gangster films were so good, but they've never really gone anywhere since. And, and martial art films for that matter as well, they kind of plateaued and then that was it. And th- which is why I like Paper Tiger so much because it's so different. But Korean cinema, 
they've really they 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 just they keep pushing it and and they they keep stretching what I mean they took a zombie film how predictable is that right like zombie films are the Laid most out. predictable film out there yeah yet they still were able to make it new fresh and interesting unbelievable you know? um and I just think that's just what Korean cinematography is like nowadays that they can just they'll I mean Jesus they're still making zombie films in Korea and they're still cool as hell. There's actually a, a few of them I could rattle off, like from Netflix. I think it's called like uh, Alive or something. Alive, guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like there's so many of them that are just so good. And they're just taking things that we thought were beaten and dead and and, and played out. Which is why I've kind of stayed away from some of that stuff. But now I kind of want to go hunt it down. Yeah, in Korean films, man. Like, thank God for them that I, I feel like they've got bigger balls in Hollywood. Does Hollywood, I feel like, hasn't had any balls in a long fucking time you um and korea the korean films are they just they, they have the courage to do things differently and, and train abuse on i think is a perfect example of that especially as a zombie film where it's such something that we've seen so many times in the last like 10 years but it's still able to be new and interesting to me and that's just why i like train abuse on so much I'll, I'll tell you the the thing for me, and I and I I watched this film when it came out because I had heard all these great things about him, a big horror guy, and they're like, this is the next, this is the ev- next next evolution of the zombie film, blah blah blah, and I'm just like, yeah yeah fine whatever, um, and I had for you know and I'd forgotten a lot of this, this is like the only the second time I've watched it, um, but and I had I put it on in the office and I was just gonna kind of trick along with it while I was doing some other stuff, and I I, I got sucked into it so fast again that I ended up just glued to it. And that opening sequence with the truck driver and the deer is so brilliant. And it's so unique. It's nothing you've ever seen before in any other zombie film. And just having this deer suddenly, and you have these pan, you know, he drives away and the, and the film just, and it just pans over to the deer. And that's what I love about this movie is like, Places where, you know, and this alludes gets into a little bit of what you were talking about, places where you would expect a cut or, you know, changes in aspect or view shots and stuff like that. A lot of times they'll just stay with the stay with the shot. And like I said, they just pan over back to the deer laying in the road. This guy just drives away from doesn't bother dragging it off the road. Nothing. And it's like all of a sudden the deer like flip flops a couple of times and then fucking stands back up. <laughs> and then and then they fucking zoom in on its face and you're just like nope dude what the fuck and then and we're off you know and then yeah. it's you know then you get then you get some night some you know some story building and you know some exposition about you know some weird shit happening in the city and it's great because all the early stuff is done is either like stuff on tv in the background of a shot or Especially when him and his daughter are getting on the train, and yeah, the one, the one, the one girl who's gotten bitten gets on the train. But before that, like, there's a bunch of people standing at the top of some stairs, and they're like looking inside of like the train station, and they're just like looking, but they don't show you what they're looking at. They're just all standing up. They're like, "Oh my god, what's that?" You know. And then there's another scene after that that's got some, some people standing at a door and, you know, and, and like some other people, like you can see them on the other side, but they don't, 
you know, and oh no, the girl is sitting in her chair looking out the window and you just see like some guy running and then some guy just like tackles him from behind. But it's like, you only see just like the top of his head pass by because that's, that's as low as the window goes. And you're just like, the fuck's going on? And then they don't really do anything. They, it's just like, the train takes off and you're like, all right, well, whatever. And then, and then it's it, it kicks off and you're, and then we're, we're on, you know, and, and I'll tell you another scene, man, besides that deer scene, I think honestly, the most terrifying scene in this movie is when that first stewardess gets, gets turned and she's laying on the floor and the guy's just looking at her and she just spins around arches back. They do that weird arch back thing, but she's laying in the aisle and she just arches back and looks at him and opens her mouth and is like, and you're just like what in the fuck and i like and i like a lot that they deliver in that one scene that one quick sort of like two or three minute sequence of her trying to help the girl the girl attacking her and her transitioning they've they very quickly lay out the rules of this zombie film so it's like you get bit you die pretty quick and you transition immediately and that's it. And in your and this is a this is a fast moving, animalistic, instinctual zombie. And you know, if if you want to call them zombies, I think the word zombie is actually only even mentioned in passing once in the film. They don't even call them zombies in the movie. On text, they, they yeah, on a text, they just call them infected. Um, and I just think that that giving you that rule, I did see at the end where I thought they strayed away from it just a little tiny bit um, with the with the older guy on the train engine as they were getting away because he was sort of he was like he looked like he'd already turned but he was still kind of semi-coherent because he's like just just get me home take me home I want I, I live with my mom you know and it's that whole thing and I was just like you're getting away from your you're getting away from your rules a little bit, <laughs> but uh, again and again that that guy could not have that guy got off light as far as I was concerned. I feel I feel like that guy should have died much more horribly than he actually did because of all the fucking shit that he pulled. But what are you gonna do? Uh, I love that the uh, it's just a fucking. I mean, even even with subtitles, uh, this is a great fucking script. Uh, I mean, the subtleties in this, like the conversations, especially between the the husband of the pregnant wife, um, uh, Ma Dong Suk. Uh, that guy's apparently apparently he used to be the director's personal trainer, but uh, he and he's a big star. He's going to be in Eternals. He's he's Gilgamesh in Eternals. Yeah, um, but that guy, the conversations between him and the main character were great. And, you know, and just these, there were all these little, it's a brilliant, there's an underlying class warfare story in this that very subtly kind of rears its ugly head here and there, but it's not, it's not being obvious about it, but it's there if you, if you look for it. And, uh, and there's just these great these great little humorous moments buried in this movie as well. This is another movie. That's a great script to start with. This is another movie that had an absolutely great script. And 
again, everybody, all the, the, you know, the, 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 they have to travel five train cars through infect full cars full of infected and each one they managed to solve with a slightly different solution, you know, and I just think that it's really inventive. Um, this, you know, like I said, you know, earlier on, this was, this is, this is this director's first live action film. Uh, it was an animated film uh, director before that. And I don't know if, if that is how he was like, I want to, I want to make, I want to do live action shots like the stuff that I usually have guys draw for me. And, you know, that's how he decided. I mean, these, these shots of like, I mean, there are stuff in this movie that, that you, you've, I mean, you, you get a hint of it in world war Z um, where of like the zombies in mass, you know, and kind of working with themselves not even necessarily purposefully, but doing this thing where they build in order to get to a, a higher playing or to reach or whatever. And there's so much of that in this movie that just stuff you've never, I mean, and like you said, it's just stuff you've never seen before in a, in a zombie film. There's so much new in it. And that just is so refreshing in a zombie movie. You know, the scenes of them just like, where like glass would break and just like these bodies would pour out like, you know, like ants or like, like, or like, like you see like in horror films where like a log breaks open and all these like maggots spill out or whatever. That's what it was like, except they were people, you know, that great scene where the windows break while the train is starting to leave Dijon station and the people are, the guys are just like spilling out onto the roof of the train cars as the train is starting to pull away. And, you know, and people are just like spilling out. It's like, it's like, it's like the side of a pool breaking and the water rushing out, but the water is people. I mean, and that was just like that. Those are the kind of visuals that were just blowing me away on this, that. And finally, the, the last thing I'll say is that that great crane shot or drone shot, however they did it uh, at the end as the train is trying to uh, leave finally. Um, and you have all of the, all the people running in this, in these two masses trying to come together and chase them as they're chasing the, the runaway train. And it's just, that's a phenomenal shot. And then the music in that last scene is absolutely amazing. I just, for some reason, it just jumped out at me in that one last scene, but um, I have, I, I, I've, I've gone on enough. I, I fucking love this movie. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely going to watch the, uh, I, I've, I've, I've held off on watching the sequel just because I, I heard all of these sort of mediocre yes. things about it. You can pass. I'm, I'm not. There's no way. I, with the with the shit that I watch, there's no way I'm going to pass on even a, a mediocre zombie movie by the same guy. When I watched Peninsula, unfortunately, man, like I knew it was not. There's no way it's going to be as good. Like impossible. But man, just watch Train to Busan again. You know? <laughs> just watch it's it. So, again. It's so good. It, yeah. it still holds up. You know, like Train to Busan for zombie films. I think. There's only like a handful that can still hold up and stand the test of time, you know. Well, on repeat viewings for sure. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of once you know the ins and outs, you're like, okay. Yeah, I mean, like Dawn of the Dead, the remake from Zack Snyder, I still love that movie. Right. Um, yeah, and, and Train to Busan to me is right up there with it. Like, like you said, like when I watched it again, I was like, well, I'll, I'll just keep it on in the background and pop my head up every once in a while. But then, like immediately i couldn't help i was like all into it again you yeah. know as soon as i like, saw that deer scene i was just i was yeah, right back in so it so damn good and like don't don't waste energy with peninsula you know like just I, I, i'll have to but that i appreciate the uh, i appreciate the effort uh it's not that bad peninsula, but <laughs> it's just 
just watch Train to Busan again. <laughs> Hassan, what do you think of Train to Busan? This is the reason I don't like horror movies because most of them are fucking stupid. And this movie isn't stupid, but we don't make horror movies like that. This is this this movie is the epitome of why the horror genre I just I just don't like them. So not usually like I'm afraid of them. I think people do really fucking stupid things in horror movies. I think they're written by people who are writing genre instead of just trying to tell a story. So they fall back on these stupid tropes and they fall back on these, the, you know, these gimmicks and sight gags and, and scare tactics. And 90% of the time, they don't realize that that compromises the character. And one of the reasons that I was, I was going to mention it before, but I kind of lost it while we were talking. One of the reasons that, that Paper Tigers is such a, one, is it such a good movie. And I think it's, it's one of those things that we, it's really obvious, but we always, for some reason, keep missing it. And we always credit different things to it. All three of the main characters are morally um, and personably likable. Like you, you like them. They're strong characters. Therefore, as, as an audience member, you're going to watch these characters and you're just going to, you're just going to buy into whatever their struggle is. You know, you, you don't even realize you're doing it. You don't realize that you're that they're You're on some kind of uh, you know, manufactured journey with a story arc where a character starts off here and they're, you know, kind of reprehensible and they start off, they, they end up here and they're more heroic. It's if you have good characters, you don't even realize that this process is taking place. You just, you just fall in line with it. And the the thing about um, Train to Busan, again, really strong characters, really, you know, characters who make for characters who are quick, they're they're, they they have deductive reasoning. They they assess things very quickly, very fast. Everybody kind of gets this feeling that something is wrong. Something is not correct. Right. And it's not going to it's not this long, drawn out process of. You know, one idiot at a time going into the, you know, going by themselves into the dark part of the train and just never coming back. And, you know, and everybody else like, well, he's taking a long time to get that coffee. When he gets back, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Yeah. And it's just it's disgusting because everybody is always wired for sound. When you are in a group of people, you can feel so you, your 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 senses are actually extended to everybody else around you. So if someone in in a, in a crowd, if someone at the edge of the crowd notices something is wrong, that that um, energy that that person sends out is going to resonate through that crowd. This person in the middle of the crowd is going to know something is not up. And I mean, they did it in in um, in uh, uh, World War Z on the plane. Where at least right. if something is going to go wrong, at least they did it fast. It was protracted. It wasn't as long, you know, stretched out thing. And of course they had to do it because we always do like this monomythical uh, hero in, in, uh, in the States where only Brad Pitt's the one who kind of notices that something something is off where everybody else in the plane is like, mm, that's peculiar. Yeah. yeah where's, where's my other drink? This is the stupidest flight I've ever been on. And so, you know, and then you, you got that scene where they're slowly trying to build a wall with their luggage. It's a, it's a tense scene and it's got shades of that, but you, the entire cast should be, have this awareness. And then no matter how smart the character is, you should be picking them off one by one to let the people in the audience know, 
if I was in that situation, that's exactly what I would have done. And I would have fucking gotten murdered for it, you know, because it would all it all matters that, you know, it's all about how fast you can be and how lucky you are in the draw. It's it's not about like, well, this one guy understands that there's a there's something with the barometric metric pressure where if they go to this particular place, the zombies won't go. There's 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 no egghead here who just kind of kind of has some kind of prescient knowledge of how to fight zombies. It's just basically everybody's smart, but this is a horrendous situation that's overwhelming. And the only thing we can do, no matter how smart we are, is run like hell. You know, we try to close a door and hold the door closed while as many people get away as possible yeah. and then run like hell. That's a horror movie. That movie where you look at it is like everything that this guy did, did, I would have done everything that would have happened. Every emotional beat, you know, like when a guy's holding the door closed and he sees a little girl there and he softens a little bit. But, you know, and of course, there is it does have the trope of the one asshole who no matter what is going on, he does not understand that there's strength in numbers and he's going to fuck everybody over just so he could get, he could survive. And those people never make it. And, and, you know, it is there, that is kind of a manufactured, uh, a, a red herring or a, a flaw in the, in the fly in the ointment where they, you know, and they set that up pretty well and they set it up early. It's fine. It's a trope. It happens. It, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you mentioned uh, Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I thought that the I thought that movie was fantastic. The beginning, yeah. the first two acts were fantastic, and then the third act, everybody just started killing themselves. Yeah. They're killing each other, and I was like, "This is just terrible." You have you have a fucking ocean of zombies out there. Don't start shooting each other. You know, show me <laughs> work together and show me you know show me the horror that's waiting out there. This guy's gonna have a zombie baby, so he puts his you know wife in the in a room, and then the other woman comes and discovers a zombie baby, so he shoots her and she shoots him, and it's like this is stupid, and it just gets dumb. <laughs> uh, Train to Busan is is pretty much my my example. Any example anybody would ask me why I don't like horror movies, and I'd be like, because they're not like this movie. Because there's you know there's not a lot of there's not there's not intelligent design. There's not a um, there's not there's no innovation. You know there it's all a bunch of clicks and jump scares and you know and 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 screeching music really quickly. But there's no there are no like impossible situations and there are no intelligent people who, who do their best in a bad situation to try to survive. Uh, in my opinion, not all of it. There are some good horror movies, but 90% of them are not like this movie. I think this movie is fantastic. Uh, I, I, it's, it, I'm not a horror person, but, uh, but I'm strangely enough, I'm not a horror person, but I like zombie movies. So there's, so there's probably something I have to examine with that. I don't know what's wrong with me, but, um, but I saw this movie a couple of years ago, I think back in 2016 when it first came out. And I, I remember loving it. I do want to see Peninsula. I haven't seen it. I know what you're going to, I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to watch it anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, the deer sequence in the beginning is just, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it is, it is a really wonderful. Oh shit moment, you know, just to set you yeah. up, you know, and they're not breaking any ground on the zombies or the, or the, you know, the, the physiognomy of, of the zombies, the, right. the, uh, you know, they're not, they're not, everything is a, Everything is a borrowed uh, aspect from the other, from the genre in and of itself. But you know, they're they're not letting that stop them from doing innovative things and creative things. And and I think it's a, I think it's just fantastic. Also, on a train, 
you know yeah like you know yeah. that's just that, that setting it alone is 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 great i love trains so that being said is. apparently there is a number another zombies on a train film from 1972 called horror express so i'm gonna have to try and hunt that one down <laughs> uh, i don't know if it'll live up to this oh i'm, don't, this I'm is sure high octane <laughs> this is absolutely high octane um and yeah the, no, nothing in this movie beat the sequence in um world war z where everybody where the zombies came over the wall and yes, just started dropping talking on people. yes but it but it's very close it's very has it has the same aspect of it it's it's yeah. well used cgi i feel and like I, am, I feel like that scene would have fit very well into mm-hmm. train to busan for sure yeah all of this could be happening at the same time yeah all of it is you know that's it's just watch those movies in succession you'll know what's going on all all over the world yeah. um and that's that that's it but it's a great movie glad i got to watch it again thank you <laughs> uh jerry just let us know whenever you need to bounce but i'm gonna go ahead and let lay like lay go lay now the important thing to realize oh boy, oh boy. here we go it's important to jerry and jerry <laughs> likes it because it's one of his favorites um i didn't realize it was one of my favorites until the crane shot scene uh towards the end and everything that came after it it's one of those moments where you realize you like the film more than you realize. And then that shot, that scene happens where they all try and converge on them as they're running for the engine. And you're like in awe of what's going on. And you realize, wow, this is a really great film. And then the one zombie gets kicked and hits that fucking thing, that rail marker <laughs> post or whatever. And... I don't cheer very often when I'm not in the theater, but I went, yes, that was a nice, <laughs> great little detail and point uh, to put in the movie. I, I don't love any zombie movie. I don't think I've ever given a zombie movie four stars. This would probably be close. Um, its direction is perfect. The details of every scene, like Steve said, how they come up with different solutions how there's just little little things in each scene. The deer getting up, the thing running by the the zombie running by the window. You can't see exactly what's going on, but something bad has happened. The uh, the end when they're walking in the tunnel where you think it's about to be a tragedy. Just all these little details. They all let up perfectly. It's I you know Hassan mentioned the one guy is you know a little bit of a cliche because he's the bad guy, the guy who takes over the engine near the end. There's a theme running through this film of, you know, where's your where's your humanity meter at? And obviously the lead guy, it you know, he's pretty selfish at the beginning and he changes by the by, you know, by the end to the ultimate sacrifice. And but there's lots of points on that barometer with uh, the older woman who sees her sister die or what was her sister sister. Yeah. And then she's just like, you know what? fuck humanity and she fucking opens the door you know stuff like there's all different points of, of showing where you know where are you on this scale it's like giving you a template which which person are you once i caught that as the theme i thought that's great now i can watch for that through the whole film where everyone ends up on it i thought they were going to maybe make the bad guy like have a change of heart at some point but you know it, he only he only had his change of heart when he got scared that he was about to die and turn into a zombie. So, right. It's great. It's 
for some reason, I thought what's his name directed it because I didn't look it up. Uh, was it Bong Juho or uh, Bong Joon Ho? Parasite. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I assumed it was him. Then I looked it up. I'm like, wow, this guy's this guy's good too. And they and yeah. I think what Jerry said the the way a lot of the Korean directors direct their films, there's just a difference about them in how they present morality, how they edit, how they are very meticulous with detail. Yeah. I, you know, it's really hard to find an editing mistake in this movie. I wasn't even looking because I was just entertained. But I get, I bet if I watched it again, uh, I wouldn't find many. Uh, it's yeah. just Park Chan Wook too. He's another. He's another Korean yeah. director who just does amazing work. Yeah, it, and it's fantastic to watch. This is the first time I'd seen it. I had not seen it before. Oh, awesome! So. Um, you know, not to, you know, you guys have made pretty much all the good points, but I, I, I just, I loved everything about it. Um, well, I, that, to, to your point about that scene at the end with the ultimate sacrifice that the dad finally goes down to the way that that is shot is just, done, yeah. is just handled so beautifully. Yeah, There's, there's, there's very, there's a lot of meticulous uh, shot placement, nothing super artistic at times. And then that, the shadow shot of him falling off the train. I mean, you're just a good director. If you know that goes there, that's all I can say. If yeah. you know that shot belongs there and you can change to that point of view, you just get it. You're just telling a story and you're telling it the right way. I, I'm glad, I'm glad I saw it. I, I can't wait. I want to show it to my daughter. I think she'll love it and, um, and appreciate how it's told and, just the, the detail of it is is fantastic. You know, never for, never for a moment do you not believe they're, you know, they're not. Do you believe they're not on a train or they're on sets? I mean, it just looks fantastic, and it's not even really that gory. Honestly, it's not that gory of a zombie movie. There's blood and chomping and whatever, but it's there's no massively yeah. gory. It's sequence. not gratuitous. No. No, mm-hmm. not gratuitous. It's at usually, all. blood on any of their faces or from any wound that they have. But I mean, it's not like people are biting in and there's like the sprays and there's not no, the, you, don't, you know you yeah. arms being torn off and waved around or anything like that. It's more it's more visceral than than gory. Yes. Like they overwhelm you sensory your sensory your sensory perspective of things than they do your your gore factor. You know yeah. your your there's gag no real reflex. Right. What's really interesting but, is this movie is being remade uh, in, in English. Okay. Bad idea. Uh, Just but, dub this one. I couldn't find a dubbed version. I don't. So, I, but... I don't even care if it's. I, <laughs> it was fine subtitled. It was great. What? I know. I, I'm sorry. I think Jerry's got to go shortly if we're going by his time thing. I just. I don't have anything else to say. Great film. Uh, well, what I was going to say is the remake is being directed by Timo Jahanto. Oh, who's that? Sorry. Oh, okay. I don't know. He's the guy who does um, those Indonesian Kung Fu or the Indonesian martial arts movies like um, Night Come, or, uh, The Night Comes, the Night for, comes us. for Us. Um, he also did um, a movie called Queen of Black Magic. Uh, he did. Uh, hang on a second. I mean, this is just he is uh he does these he does these amazing martial arts sequences um this just reads of like when spike lee remade uh, old boy i mean spike lee's a great director but come on no like uh, yeah what did you I expect agree. To happen? i agree <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he did. He did a. <clears throat> he's done two films of a horror trilogy called "May the Devil Take You." Uh, he has done a movie called "The Night Comes for Us," which he did for Netflix. So that's on Netflix, which is just really, really good. Uh, he also did uh, a movie called Killers, and he's got something else. But uh, this is—he—he's one of these guys who's part of that um, the Indonesian filmmaking crew who's come out and does those those mm-hmm. Indonesian martial arts films um, with Silat as like the core martial arts that they use with um, yeah, um, Eco no, Those guys are great, and like, just uh, like I and, think Spike uh, is great, but I mean. What, what do you, yeah, how, yeah, I don't think they're going to catch know, it. What do you expect is going to happen? Like, <laughs> right. But I understand, but the, at least I'm, I, I'm at least my interest has peaked enough. Like, if they had told me that, like, you know, Roger Spottiswood was doing the directing, I would have been like, who gives a fuck? But I mean, like, the fact that this guy is doing it and his sense, in his sense and style as far as horror films and action sequences go. It'll be really interesting to see yeah, what yeah, at least he with can add film, to um, that's, that's It's probably easier to reboot a zombie film than a movie like Old Boy. You know? um, yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. And, that, and, that, and, I, and I too, I, that's one of those things that normally would just, just royally piss me off. Because like every time that like a great, great foreign film comes out and you're like, oh, you guys got to track this down. And it's like, oh, we're going to remake right. it in English with, you know, with... <laughs> With Brad Pitt and and Kate Winslet, and you're like, why do you need to do that? Why can't people? I understand that people don't like to read subtitles. I get it, but just come on, man. I mean, isn't this considered a, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark in in Korea? It's uh, This was this this film was huge I mean, uh, in the Korean film industry. This was like it broke all sorts of records. Uh, box office attendance records. It was like one of the first, I think the first Korean film to have 10 million attendees, something like that. And it doesn't need to be remade. It's just well, I, at least I guess I the, whoever created the movie will get an extra payday, but not that they need it after all the success this movie's made. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. Small consolation. I'm just, I'm just, I'm hoping that, you know, of the movies that have been remade in English, of foreign films, movies like Let the Right One In, um, you know, that that the, 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 the English remake was in and of itself a, a good film. Just I felt it's hard to it's hard to really appreciate it when it's unnecessary or it doesn't change it up enough that I feel warrants making it in a film just so it can be in English. Yeah, I agree. You know? You know, I think I think I think I think Haneke's Funny Games is a perfect example of that. And he remade his own goddamn film. You yeah, know, it's the same thing. Same awesome. thing with the guy with the with the grudge milk, the, the grudge movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Shimizu uh, and, uh, you know, him just remaking all his films in English instead. You know, and I mean, I'm glad that he's able to 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 keep a hold of it. So he's doing it himself rather than just like taking a check and being like, well, do whatever you want with it. I don't care. But it's still just like you're gonna do this, but you're gonna put, you know, Kristen Bell in it or, or uh, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah, Sarah uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle. Sarah Michelle Geller. There you go. God, I can't believe I blanked on that one. Um, 
but yeah, but anyway, Jerry I would like I, to congratulate Jerry on achieving the uh, Cinemental's hat trick <laughs> for both his movies. Yeah, because okay. because all three of us liked both his movies, which is oh, it's, it's oh, been done. It's been done, but I but not since we've come up with the idea that it's a hat trick. So what was Jerry's last movie? Uh, Big Trouble in Little China and Crippled Avengers. Oh yes, okay. So this is actually a redemption <laughs> show for you. <laughs> That's why Jerry thought I wasn't going to like the first movie. kind of Captain Obvious. You got to like that movie, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, hard. You're it's kind hard of a jackass like if you don't it. like yeah. Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, listeners? <laughs> You are a jackass if you don't like Train to Busan. That's yeah. normally something I would Paper say. Paper Tigers under the hair. Now, I don't know how many indie films you guys review. Probably a lot. Um, yeah. But Paper oh, Tigers is, fair share. you know, it's just, it's different. So I, I, I personally think Paper Tigers is genuinely a good movie. Not because my friends there or anything. Like, I genuinely think people enjoy themselves watching that film. That being said, oh, I agree. you know, look, it's 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 a movie starring only like people of color, you know, uh, you know. It, it's it's uh, a middle aged, you know, out of shape martial arts comedy film. You know, like yeah. talking about niche, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gary, what that's one last great point is in the age we're living in now, where admittedly so, where everyone's trying to make apologetic art remakes cast someone of color in a certain role this and this and that this is a movie completely of color that has nothing to do with any of that movement it was done before that so that's what makes it yeah, genuine I think. well it was done because of that i mean it, it's part of the story i think i mean you well can't... that's it wasn't even thought that wasn't even a thought in in this right. person's head who created it and that's what you know that's the way art should be is just genuine right. This movie's nothing but genuine. Yeah. Um, it was funny as the uh, the lead actor, the main character in Train to Busan, was actually born in Busan. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's just trying to get home. That's right, just trying to get home. That yeah, we didn't touch on. We didn't touch on either that both films had this theme of the the father and the, the parent and child to reach the child. Yeah, yeah. So the other the other scene that I really liked in in Train to Busan, the other part, the other scene that really stuck out to me was when they get to that middle station in Daijan, and they're coming. They're all like they're told, "Oh, go to the main go, when you the train stops, you go up, you go through, and go to the main square. The arm, the military's there, whatever." And they're all coming down the escalator, and all they see is the back of the military guys. And the one guy's kind of like looking, like, "Yeah, oh, what's great. going on?" And all of a sudden, the one turns around, and you realize. They're all zombies, they're and fun. they just turn around and they're like, "Ah, fuck!" <laughs> yep, it's great. Oh god, great so good. So many just great, great shots in it. Yep, a lot of intelligence in the in the in the yeah. design of the film. You know, yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks, pal. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is this is. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm already thinking. Like, I hope I get to come back on like next time. And, uh, Oh, definitely. We'll have you back on. We did we did Karate Kid and Way of the Dragon last week, so. Good luck on your boat to Seoul. 
<laughs> yeah, that that's the sequel. Uh, <laughs> e-bike to <laughs> yeah. e-bike to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Jerry, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Jerry. Jerry. Uh, So uh, thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, myself and Jerry Ma, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and zombie-filled train conductor, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. He's out! <sighs> <sighs>